There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This podcast exists because of the paid members at decodingtv.com. Become a paid member and get access to ad-free episodes as well as early access to episodes. Thanks so much to everyone at decodingtv.com who makes this podcast possible. Everyone doubted me. Well, why don't you just see your ideas in action, buddy? Watch. It's about to happen. Wait for it. Wait for it. <laughs> oh, come on, man. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Decoding TV, a podcast about television. <laughs> I'm David Chen, and I ask that you please not speak about your experience with this podcast. Joining me today is Patrick Klepek. Who also saw a uh, test turn positive this morning, but it wasn't a pregnancy test. His <laughs> wife got COVID. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, well, Patrick, Patrick's wife got COVID, but Patrick is still doing okay for now. And that's why he's here recording with us today to talk about The Curse, Episode 2, Pressures Looking Good So Far. You can find more episodes of this podcast at podcast.decodingtv.com. Email us at decodingtv at gmail.com and find us across all platforms at Decoding TV. Today, we're going to be discussing episode two of The Curse. We're going to start by talking about some overall thoughts and then move on into a really detailed recap of the episode. Break it down bit by bit for you. Uh, but before we do that, I do want to just read one comment. And uh, arguably, this comment does have uh, a spoiler in it for this episode so just fyi um but david potts wrote into decodingtv.com saying quote i genuinely wonder if the show is foreshadowing whitney getting impregnated by someone else which i don't call cheating because i don't think her character would frame it that way and i think asher might even approve my reasoning is because of the quote once you put sliced tomatoes between the bread it's all the same (laughs) i immediately assumed with horror Her dad was implying it doesn't matter who knocks up your wife as long as you all get to have a baby. While the rest of the scene seemed to suggest this reading was way off, the following scenes brought this interpretation back into contention. First, the follow-up shot of Whitney uh, pre-sex in the mirror felt like it was dripping with some weird tension. Maybe this is the couple's way of getting in the mood, but it made me wonder if Whitney is having the how the hell am I going to navigate these waters and get my parents off our back, etc., with someone who she realized may be incapable of meeting her sexual and impregnation needs. First, first time I've ever heard that phrase used, by the way. In, impregnation needs. Also, Dougie flirting with Whitney at the end seems like big time to swim the same direction. He's puffing her up in a way he knows we'll get through, and it seems like it may be effective based on her contemplative reaction. Finally, Asher's guilty face at the end could be read various ways, but in light of the pregnancy theory, what if he more or less realizes that Whitney may connect these dots herself as well, and given Asher knows Dougie's character, it's presented as if he may already suspect something may be in motion between the two, end quote. I'm going to say this. I I don't think that's what Whitney's dad was referring to when she said, once you put the, the tomatoes between the bread, it's all the same, you know? But everything else about David's predictions do resonate with me now that I've seen this episode. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> Yeah, I, I will say the, the response from Whitney when Dougie is like pumping her up, kind of right. flirting with her. There, there's not a lot of, in, like Whitney's not giving a lot of interest in a response. There definitely seems to be, it was definitely more of a deadpan, not quite horror, but just not really a response at all. Just, oh, this is a thing that's happening to me. And so I'm, <laughs> mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. I didn't really necessarily uh, catch that, that Whitney was like on Dougie's vibe. Uh, in fact, that's many fair. things that, that Dougie has done across the episode have made Whitney profoundly uncomfortable and upset. And I think much of the show is going to unpack how contradictory and hypocritical the values of Whitney are relative to how she, she acts and maybe truly feels, but I don't look, this show could get anywhere. She could have sex with Dougie and like, fine, sure show continue. But I don't know that I caught a lot of sexual tension in the air between the two of them, but I do think 
the idea that Whitney is perhaps like seeking out solutions either to a problem presented by her parents. I don't know if her having a kid is necessary, not having a kid is necessarily what she views as a problem as much as when she has to resolve in the world around her. But I agree that sex and partners and relationships and masculinity is going to be a key topic that is unpacked as this, as the uh, season progresses. Yeah. I mean, there's two things in favor of the Dougie theory, right? One is <laughs> the Dougie theory. <laughs> well, one is that he's he's like pumping her up at the end there, and we know he kind of doesn't like her very much. So why would he mm-hmm. be doing that unless there was unless at the very least there was some interest on his side? Well, I think uh, Dougie might have an interest in any sandwich. <laughs> anything, um, that, David, anything that moves. To, to continue, I, the, I can't believe language. you use that phrase just now. But yeah, uh, the other thing is. Uh, so it's revealed in this episode, like very first scene of this episode, that Whitney is pregnant. Uh, and I think it's heavily implied that the father is not uh, Asher and Nathan Fielder's character. Mm-hmm. Um, who else could it be? There's no other characters really in the show that it could be is the problem. Like, I don't think there's enough other characters, right? Dr. Brown? <laughs> Possibly. Uh, Dr. Brown, possibly uh, Asher's friend at the casino. The thing is, we know nothing about these characters on purpose, right? Like so much with the show. So it's like the only other character that would mean something is like that said, we're only two episodes into the show. And so it's like we're we might meet more people that will become significant later on. Um, But the first person I thought of about who the father might be is Dougie. Because he's the only other character that has any characteristics at all in the Correct. show. So uh, so we'll see. We'll see. Anyway, I- interesting stuff that David Potts is picking up on there. And uh, thanks for the comment over at DecodingTV.com. All right, Patrick Klepek. Let's start and talk about episode two of The Curse. Specifically, Pressure's Looking Good So Far is the name of the uh, episode, which I love. What did you think overall of The Curse episode two? I think it's great. I think it's it's fun to get out of the premise of the show and into the show itself. Like, okay, where are we going? Like, who are these characters? Like, what is going to motivate them going forward? And I think we get a lot of answers to those questions, or at least directions uh, for these characters coming into this the second episode. I, you know, I've admittedly have not seen Nathan for you, but I've seen clips and some of these segments. There's a sequence in this episode that feels like it's just out of like a pseudo reality comedy show in a way that uh, feels very in line with Fielder's work and could maybe appear in in other uh, work that uh, he's done in the past. But uh, this is like this episode in general is like a real Fielder is present, Asher is present, but it feels like a real showcase for Emma Stone and for Whitney. And I find myself just like captivated by this complete weirdo. Like I have, I cannot put a finger on who she is, like what her aims are. Like I could describe characteristics of her, her perceived value structure, both externally and internally. And like these layers, I think are going to be, (laughs) I don't think the answers are going to be comfortable, uh, but I think they're going to be interesting. And I think the way they're setting up, all these different characters by actually uh, I think this episode is successfully sets up Dougie as someone more interesting than just a weirdo villain foil for Asher and Whitney where that lands. I'm still not sure because by the conclusion of this episode, it's not like it's setting up an arc for Dougie necessarily, but there's more to this character beyond the fears I had at the end of the first episode. Like, if all this character is, is a sketchy dude they shouldn't associate with and is going to sink whatever ambitions they have and that becomes cartoonish over time. I don't necessarily know that this episode erased that as a concern, but the the show is obviously aware, hey, we need to provide depth to these characters, especially in a show that has a, 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 you know, a growing cast of uh, characters that come in and out. But in terms of the core group, like, there's three and those three need to have some real depth to make sense. And I think a lot of what happens in this episode is furthering that depth. And I think broadly avoids 
also like some of the cringe worries that we had in the first episode of like, what is the style of comedy going to be here? Like, what is the lowbrow, highbrow stuff? Like, like, uh, is this, is the, the, like the tiny dick going to be a joke that we're getting every single episode? And like, we're just going to keep hammering away at that. And, and I think those concerns are at least a little alleviated um, or at least suggest the show has a broader palette to work with that. I'm excited to see them like fully use going, going forward. I agree on many counts of what you said. I thought this was an excellent episode. Uh, it continues the cringe comedy that we experienced in the first episode. I have a very odd experience watching the show because I, I, I literally, I am not, using figurative exaggeration <laughs> uh-huh. i literally curl up into like a fetal position watching the show uh because it's so painful uh meanwhile my wife has no problem watching the show i think and we had the opposite reaction when we watched nathan for you i think because nathan for you ostensibly involves real people and, and in her mind she she's thinking oh all these people are fictional so no, it doesn't matter what happens to them right um whereas for me the feelings and sensations that the show evokes are so painful you know uh so excruciating that i can't help but have a, a physical reaction to it uh i so i agree with you on all counts and i agree that emma stone is tremendous in this episode uh my the, where i disagree with you is you you're, you saying you don't think you have that character pinned down so far i think it's pretty clear who that character is um she is a self-deluding you know, progressive, which is something we discussed last episode, right? Mm-hmm. Like this person who thinks they're extremely progressive and helping other people and doing their best and, and advocating for social justice causes, but are so clumsy at doing so that they accidentally stumble into a bunch of faux pas or terrible things that they're not supposed to do uh, in that process. And and honestly, can occasionally actively cause damage in that process, right? And uh, and, and so that you know that kind of self delusion that we got a taste of in episode one is continued in this episode, uh, and I think is really sharp in its satire. It's very biting. Yes, so, yeah, absolutely, yeah. So anyway, overall, also a huge fan of the curse episode two. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. But Patrick, let's talk about some of the specific stuff that happened this episode. Uh, We open on a pregnancy test revealing that Whitney is presumably pregnant. So we are in full spoiler territory for episode two starting right now. And... What an ominous shot. Like, it's an ultra close-up macro shot with this kind of sinister music in the background. Something that you said, Patrick, last episode that I think was really apt was one thing that this sh- one stylistic choice that the show makes is it will take a shot and hold on it for much longer than you are comfortable with. Um, and that is, I think that's hugely influenced by a lot of Nathan Fielder's work mm-hmm. on Nathan For You. What he does is he'll put someone in an uncomfortable situation, and in a reality show, you typically just cut away from that, or you it wouldn't even make the edit. But in Nathan for you, he'll hold on it and like let people sit with the awkwardness. Like, hey, you know, hey, you just drank my piss, by the way, you know, like and like have people have people like, and usually, you know, it would just, you'd see the person's like what, and then cut away. But he'll just like sit for like the next thirty seconds, and you wait to see 
how the reaction plays out, you know? And that's definitely a choice that they continue to make throughout this, this show and in this episode in particular. When it's, and it's so, good to see that relative to the unpredictability of a, like a controlled reality show, right? Like in which a lot of what my understanding of Nathan for you and like the rehearsal is like, you're, you're, you're setting up situations. So there's a, a controlled element, but then there's still a very human element of how will people respond. And that creates a bit of a chaotic element that uh, is not present here, right? In which like that is happening right. on, a, on a script level, on like a yeah. planning level, on a choreography level, and so right. on an editing right. level. And it's they're thematically similar, but then can just be deployed in like wildly different ways that make for just... I mean, and, and it's also the, often the, those long, like that long intro with the pregnancy test, this, this show also has a very low key distribution and, and use of music. There's just not a mm. lot of it. Um, and when it is used, it's very impactful. It's very meaningful. It's like really trying to underscore often the like tension or awkwardness of, of a scene or the kind of ominous nature of yeah. a scene or like what was great in the pilot and I assume there'll be less of this as the show gets further and further away to from the actual show that they're shooting and more and more about like the plot that's that's carrying out like as a result of the shooting. Uh but like you know, you get moments where you get like the little jingle of like a reality show, like doom 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 and like those are the two like kind of two modes of composition that the music operates in. And it's just interesting to see how they're using all these different aesthetic elements. Yeah really really carefully um it is it is always feels like of the utmost deliberance in a way that when it is used it's like oh shit like if there's music present like it feels like a character unto itself yeah yeah uh deliberance is that a word deliberation i think deliberation Eh, i think you know what like deliberateness out here like language is language is fluid language is changing it's mm-hmm. an evolving cultural uh yeah, object yeah. and so um what i is think language what is language but a vessel for communicating what we are thinking you know I, and, yeah, and beyond that there are no rules there, there are, no, are rules. no rules there are no rules Asher meets with the local TV reporter he's trying to dissuade from airing a disastrous interview, but the reporter doesn't think Asher is offering enough of a juicy story about his time at the casino. The reporter wants access to security tapes, and Asher claims to need more time. So he heads to the casino in question. You know, I I just want to pause here and say, like, I really liked that they like Asher sets up very clearly via dialogue what he's trying to accomplish. He's like, I know what the folder is in the cloud. I just need to be able to access it. So he's like, oh, you just need to, like, log in and then like click and drag a thing to a thumb drive and then you're done. And so you kind of get a sense of what he's trying to accomplish even without any heist planning sequence. Um, Anyway, Asher heads to the casino in question where he meets up with an old coworker and inspects some of the ideas he'd been working on while at the casino, including ceiling lighting that changes throughout the day to alter player moods and bracelets loaded with cash that allow players to sit at a slot machine for longer without having to walk to the ATM. Asher finds a way to get into the casino's security areas by asking to speak with another former coworker, but he's not in the office today, so Asher awkwardly leaves the casino. Let's pause here for a moment, Patrick. What did you think about this sequence? I thought that it was interesting to learn all the stuff that Asher worked on before, because basically mm-hmm. he's working on ways to exploit people at the casino, right? And that is very not in line with his whole image of helping people that he's trying to put out with his wife. Uh, in present day. So uh, I, I do think it's just a symbol of how being part of any corporation in particular and exploited an exploitative one, like a casino can often co-opt your efforts in a way that you uh, didn't want, didn't intend, but you know, people just have to live with that cognitive distance a lot of the time, dissonance a lot of the time. Uh, any thoughts on, you know, learning about Asher's previous work? Well, I think what's interesting is, a lot of what the show has done so far with Whitney is underscore how she's a hypocrite um, and like living dual lives. One is performance and one is like, what is your internal true self as much as one can have something like that. Like, we don't know anything about Asher. We like, he sits in the shadow of Whitney. Like mm-hmm. here, um, the show has a very telling moment where one of the most like, common shots it's used is Asher reacting to something upsetting with sort of like this kind of zoom in shot on his face in which there is a sense of 
despair or upset or disgust as it's like it's either after um like you know what happens with Whitney at the end of episode 1 when they have the fight in the hallway um and he tries to explain you know tracking down the girl that he took the money from here it's like look at this elderly man being exploited he doesn't have to get up to go to the ATM anymore like he can just keep like sucking his like retirement savings away back into that slot machine that'll pay out just enough to psychologically hook him for a little bit more and there's a sense that he understands there's something wrong about what he's done, but he doesn't vocalize it. He doesn't explain it. We don't get a sense of his with very little sense of his interiority. I would and, argue the opposite. I would argue the opposite. I would say, okay. I'd say there's pride at what he's accomplished. Mm. Like he's, he's very much like, Hey, did you see the stuff that I helped to get done? Yeah. Like he yeah. it's um, and, and you know, his coworker says, yeah, you know, you did great. Like that was a great thing for him, which by the way, side note, I recently watched this video on MP- by NPR that was really interesting. It was uh, this the host of the video worked an entire day not getting up from her seat and then worked an entire day getting up once every hour to like walk around for five minutes. And like her health indicators were way better uh, on the days that, you know, she got up once every hour to like walk around like blood pressure and stress levels and all this like it was all better if she got up and walked around every hour or so so it's uh, why i've never turned off that little yeah when your apple watch tells you to get up um hey it has your best interest in mind that's all i want you can turn you can turn that off but i I keep it on i sometimes ignore it but that is when i do uh, well like i'm recording like hey david i know that we're in the middle of talking about (laughs) the curse but like it does go off during podcasts quite a bit yeah Um, that's that's annoying but i actually i yeah i use that throughout the day to like Oh, right. Like I should go change the laundry. I get up for a couple of minutes. Like that's how I like do chore indicators when it tells me to get up. And that's how I do little things around the house and like stretches my legs, like gets me to go up and down the stairs. Like if I don't actually work out that day, at least like I'm doing that. Um, So that does not shock me as being uh, a good, good methodology to follow. Love that. But but yeah, uh, I, I think you're right that we don't really know that much about Asher until this episode. It seems like you thought his attitude was a little bit impenetrable. I thought it was clear that he was actually quite happy. He takes pride about, in the work, but I just don't yeah. know what his value. Like, you know what I mean? Like he takes pride sure, in having I, done something well. And so I don't sense he, this like, is a man who's tortured about it. I don't sense this prob- is a man. Probably who's not. Like, yeah. I don't yeah. think he's like really anguished about how he exploited all these people. I just so like, hear what, how he articulate, like whether the show will ever have him articulate. Mm, yeah, sure. That is a philo- like Whitney articulates a philosophy. And then what's interesting is to watch that be undercut by her actions and deeds. I, I, I or, think on whereas, some level, I think on some level though, it doesn't really matter how he feels about it. Like the point mm-hmm. is he, he partook oh, in sure. it and he had initiative. He wasn't just like a drone. He like tried to right tried to increase the conditions of exploitation. And uh, and I do think it's a statement about how many people who try to do good in the world often find themselves co-opted by forces beyond their control. Uh, or, or actually, no, within their control. Correct. Um, to some degree. And then they end up kind of going along. Because yeah, he's not just an employee at the casino because right. that's the only job he could get in town. And so, yes, I'm part of an exploitative structure, but also I've got to pay my rent and... Hopefully exactly. I can like balance that out in different ways in my life. This is like, you know what we need to do? Like get kids in the equation, uh, you know? Right. So. <laughs> right. It's what, it's what, yeah. So like maybe he's not happy with what he has to do. I doubt that. But even if that's the case, I don't think it really matters. Like he's still doing Correct. something terrible. Right. So anyway, uh, Whitney meets with a local Pueblo tribe leader to talk about Asher and Whitney's work in respecting local communities, invites the leader to come to her friend's art show. Whitney's friend's Kara. Whitney's friend Kara is an indigenous artist, and she tries to explain how Kara and this leader are from the same background, only to be told that's not true. They speak a different language. <laughs> Despite her mix-up, the leader respects that Whitney cares and agrees to come to the show. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about. We can talk a little bit about Whitney and Asher, Asher and their dinner with Kara later. But uh, I, I I like this scene a lot because it's showing how Emma Stone is, uh, you know, Whitney stumbling through all these things. But I particularly liked how Whitney is my guess instructed her assistants to, to take photos of them. And then she's like, Hey, no, what are you doing? Stop taking photos. And then the guy's like, no, no, it's okay. You can take photos. And she's like, Oh, really cool. You know? And I'm like, Oh wow. That's a great way of 
doing something that is kind of socially unacceptable is you tell someone else to do it and then you like berate them so hard that the person you're with is like, no, actually it's okay. They try to like stop you from being Mm -hmm. such a hard ass about it. Uh, I would never, ever do anything like that, but I'm just saying, you know, wow, that's some good psychological warfare there, Whitney. Anyway, appreciate that. Well, and it's, it's interesting too, because there's like a couple different things happening there where she set that up with, you know, her assistant, presumably. And then, he offers to take a picture with his phone. She's like, no, 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 no. Like, not on your phone. We can email it to you. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, she, it shows she, like, planned it, basically. Correct. Like, no, right. this is a candid shot that is going to go on my, my my Instagram profile. Yeah. Like, like yeah. Ha- hashtag indigenous. Like, hashtag, like, right. you know, local communities uh, later. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, anyway, uh, they go to dinner. Um, and uh, Whitney and Asher meet up with Kara for dinner. Uh, Whitney deletes some comments on her popular Instagram profile that claims she ripped off an artist with her house designs. They also discuss having Kara being a cultural consultant on the show. By the way, the name of the person that she ripped off is apparently a real-life artist named Doug Aiken. Oh, okay. And if you go to, if you Google Doug Aiken, you can see he has a house that looks identical to the house that Whitney and uh, Asher built. And it's actually very funny that Whitney in the show says, says, oh, yeah, it's different because I'm doing it in the middle of a town and he's doing it in the middle of the desert. But it's like this house looks like exactly the same, you know? Uh, So I thought that was a a nice touch. Desert X. Um, Yeah. uh, Interesting. Yeah, that is is just, yeah, okay. All right. Yeah, that is, yeah, you did rip that off, Whitney. Yeah. You're one of the people on. You're one of the negative Nellies on uh, Whitney's Instagram channel. And let me just put, let me just throw this out there. If you are a Whitney, uh, and you are having people, you know, comment negative things on your Instagram profile, uh, I'm just going to throw this out there. Just shut down the comments on the post. You know, you can. It's possible to post on Instagram and not allow comments. Whitney, you have better things to do with your time than deleting comments one by one. That's what I have to say about that. So, mm, but she wants the positive uh, affirmation, right? I mm, feel like that's going to be it's so true key to like how a character like that understands themselves and it's tied up in performative progressivism is like i do the good thing i put the black square on my instagram profile because like i respect black lives matter and my voice shouldn't be heard for you know what i mean shit like that like you don't turn off the comments because like like you're right like it's healthier to just like put your stuff out there and like have the commentary happen around it as opposed to underneath it but for the character they're portraying like she cannot exist without like the social gratification um absolutely i think definitely true uh that's all correct i would say uh it's a slippery slope from closely monitoring your instagram comments to uh, one day you're hiring an online anonymous troll army to harass TV critics like the <laughs> uh, like oh, the head of right, HBO, HBO recently did. Yes, 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 yes. Be- best to just step away from the, the social media uh, mm-hmm, it, it, mm-hmm. when it comes to the negative comments. So anyway, at the dinner, Whitney waves off having the cultural co- consultant conversation. And instead, Kara and Whitney clash over people accusing Whitney of ripping off an artist online. Whitney tries to claim that artists can be inspired by other artists, which rubs Kara the wrong way. I think it also rubbed Kara the wrong way that Whitney thought of herself as an artist at all, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. They also discover Kara is deeply uncomfortable with having her art featured in the staged homes they're building uh, in the TV show, uh, at which point they try to explain that's actually not happening, even though it clearly is. And Kara ends up having to leave due to a quote-unquote work emergency, at which point Whitney tries to brag about inviting the local Pueblo tribe leader to her art show, which clearly seems to make Kara upset. Uh, after Kara leaves, Whitney reveals she's pregnant. She's not very excited, but Asher very much is. Lot to unpack in that sequence, Patrick Lepic. This might be. I feel like this is going to be a show that we look back on, and when we talk about the finale, we could probably do like, "Hey, each of us list like your top mm-hmm. three favorite cringe moments, like yes. in the show," because you can kind of see, you can kind of segment them out in the way scenes happen. And this whole dinner with Kara, like, I don't know where we're going, right? But like, it won't shock me if this like this one sticks with me like cherry tomato <laughs> boys yes height of cringe but also uh like 
like cringe in a different way where like it felt like it was a little over the top here everything about the start of them sitting at dinner to the ending with the pregnancy reveal is just just skin crawling it like the whole like we'll bring the we'll bring the food to you it's an albuquerque it's an hour well no no, 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 no. i don't know called albuquerque i forget what like the the albuquerque i think albuquerque like even that is like we can't go to albuquerque like all of that is like we gotta fatten you up like there are so many lines that i i delighted in this entire entire sequence in, in a way that made me upset but it's there's there are just so many different uncomfortable threads to pull on that i i have to imagine this is one of those moments where you were in a ball uh trying to get through it what was great about this is literally every sentence that someone spoke made the situation worse (laughs) like on a sentence by sentence level every sentence made it worse than it was before they said something and you just had this feeling that there was nothing that they could say that would be okay. Um, just take another big, big sip of water, yeah. Dave. Like just, just, and like the comically <laughs> large restaurant water, so that like as they're doing, and like now, granted, everyone has done this yes. where you've been in a lull awkward, of a, yeah, or just in lull of a conversation, even with people you like quite a bit. Where like topic ended, ah, oh, didn't have a natural pivot point. Well, time to. <laughs> <laughs> take a sip and hope somebody uh says something to, to where we're going next but like done so in just the like most upsetting way possible i think she she just kept blundering her, her way into everything like the you can't use my she's calling herself an artist using kara's art in staged homes um and then inviting this uh pueblo governor person uh, to the art show, which felt very much like, I think Kara's reaction was very much like a kind of tokenism kind of thing. Like mm-hmm. if, if Patrick Klepek said to me, Hey, Hey, I invited the other Asian person I know to the, to the podcast. I'd, I'd be like, what the fuck, man? <laughs> it's kind of, it's a weird <laughs> well, yeah, thing it, to say. And I think um, it also, like it, it goes hand in hand with the confusion she gets over right. like saying, well, you people are one in the same. Right. And so You're, they're a monolith. You see so. exactly like yeah. and and go look it up like the the you know the thing that the Pueblo leader talks about like you can like if you Google the 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 language um, that he that he that he mentions in that sequence like you can see the actual distinctions that are are unique to that area so they're they're pulling from like actual stuff in the in the material they're referencing in the show and like it just feels hand in hand with that we're like look you already know that like these are not a monolith of people and then you like try to parlay that into your friend like no like no shit she is like uncomfortable and uh in in many ways it makes me wonder and i don't know if kara is going to be a regular character after this or this was sort of like the just the a character who's here to move our characters forward our main characters forward in this episode but i get no sense of like why they're friends um and and especially where we get it to the end of the episode when she tries to go up and talk to what are probably kara's other art friends and Whitney's trying to be part of the the conversation and where are we going afterwards girls to, to celebrate? I, I can't, I can't even tell where the overlap is. Like increasingly, I, 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 don't sense their, I actually don't sense their friends. I sense mm. that she, Whitney is more of a patron mm. than mm. a friend. Uh, that makes, that, that makes some sense. There, there is no reason why Kara would be at that dinner unless there was some financial benefit coming to Kara, which like, you know, maybe, maybe they, cause she, you know, they say later that they, they own four of her pieces. Right. So right. maybe her piece, her, like someone at Kara's level, her pieces are probably thousands of dollars each. So like, right. They've, they spent thousands of dollars on her work. She's going to ha- take a dinner with them. So I, I actually don't think they're friends at all. So I'm going to put that out there. I think that's um, a good reading of it. So anyway, also the, the quote unquote celebration of her being pregnant afterwards is very upsetting because oh. she's clearly not, intending to mention that she's pregnant at that moment and then when she does she's clearly not happy about no the fact that she has to tell him um and it's it's an amazing this whole scene is an amazing performance by emma stone it's like her work is so naturalistic during the whole Mm -hmm. thing and um and she's balancing so many so many ideas uh i'm just really impressed with her yeah Uh, she really sinks into now i think nathan fielder is doing a remarkable job of holding his own in the face of like 
one of our generation's like great actors. Uh, like Emma Stone is just like yeah, a top yeah. tier actor. And there are times with Fielder where you can like sense he's acting. You know what I mean? Like he's doing a great job, but like he's, uh, you know, it's an unfair fight in terms of like these two, <laughs> you know, like he's new to this, like right. he's done a version of a performance in a lot of his work perform like, Outward yeah, performance. Well, let me put it is... this way, Patrick. You don't know how new he is to this because <laughs> maybe the entirety of Nathan for you was a perform. We don't know. We don't. Who knows who, what the real Nathan Fielder really is? Is the that's question. true. So, that's true. So that's maybe true. his whole life has been a performance. We 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 won't know. But but I agree <laughs> with you. She's she's incredible, and he's also very good. But I think yes, her, he's keeping the, up. He's yeah, definitely yeah. keeping up. Which is, I think, there are a lot of people, different actors in the same position that. Would, like would not be able to hold their own and like it's to a to his great credit that like i think he's able able to in in many of these scenes all right at another equally uncomfortable dinner dougie is on a date and reveals a bunch of strategies for getting your blood alcohol content reduced as quickly as possible in order to avoid driving drunk and getting a dui <laughs> uh he reveals he knows all this because of a drunk driving accident he was involved with um, though he claims being drunk was incidental uh, because the woman who died was blindsided by another car. He just happened to be drunk when this all happened. Uh, my interpretation was that that was his like girlfriend or wife uh, that was killed. I wasn't sure. Yeah. Like, uh, cause you know, he awkwardly at the end of the end of the dinner, you know, shows a picture. Like, yeah. Like that, he's, I mean, it's very clear. He's, he's obsessed over this event, like playing it for laughs, like talking about like, ha ha ha. But, uh, I think there's a real sense of a underlying centralized trauma over like what occurred here, or at least as a like defining event in the personal life of Dougie as a, as a person. And yeah, I wasn't sure. I, I, I didn't, I'd believe you if like that prediction like played out, but I didn't necessarily get the sense that I guess why would he have a picture of her otherwise? Right. Um, yeah. I don't it, know. Well, he, my sense is he was in the car with her. Mm-hmm. And so it was somebody who was it was I don't remember if girlfriend oh, or it was wife T-boned, was T-boned, right? So T-boned yeah, yeah. means like the car's coming like from Correct. the other side. Um she was right. in the passenger seat, you know, he, right. she gets killed. Yeah. Um so I don't I don't remember if he said girlfriend or wife. It was one it was clearly like a close relation though. Um yeah. It's an amazing scene for a variety of reasons. First of all, it's a very common trope in American society and pop culture that you go on a date with a guy and he won't stop talking about blank Bitcoin, <laughs> NFTs, whatever. And it's usually something that's horrifying, you know, like the, or that, that there is no interest to anyone else. And in this case, it's um, how to avoid getting a DUI, <laughs> which is like, <laughs> should be setting off screaming red flags left and right. And then there's this amazing, mo- and you're thinking, Oh, this guy is just a caricature of himself. But then there's this amazing moment when she says, you know, cause he's trying to say, I happen to be tiny bit drunk, but uh, the car would have hit us anyway because it ran a red light. And, you know, that's, uh, you know, it would have been, I couldn't that's have changed anything. crumbles. <laughs> and then she says, the the woman he's on a date with says, hey, do you ever think, like, maybe if you weren't drunk, the car might not have hit you in the first place? And <laughs> And he says, he says, I actually think about it every day all the time. <laughs> yeah. It's like, wow, like, there's a lot of weight in that yeah and and as you said he has this kind of like probably obsession with it um and it really does give this character more depth you know um it's an off screen i don't know right like that's kind of what makes it interesting is for the show to spend this much time like it kind of kind of comes out of nowhere there's not a natural cut to like what's dougie up to you know what i mean like he it's Mm -hmm. it's it's the show telling us this character is important there's more to them than just like this douchebag, like Hollywood guy, like who is doing exploitative reality shows. Like that's all true. Like ABC, like that's all part of the character, but to spend this much time seemingly kind of out of context and flow with the rest of the episode, I think is laying important groundwork for where the character is going, where like it's like, you know, Safdie like makes it all work. Like, like his kind of erratic, like I'm not familiar with Safdie, acting i don't know how adjacent this is to how he is in other roles i would say he has shown a significant amount of range based okay. on what i've okay. seen so interesting um so but i but i think this is an atypical character for him 
So gotcha. That's what I was gotcha. Saying. Yeah. Gotcha. But it makes me interested to know, like, why did we need to know this? Like, uh, why did this have to be here? And I'm not questioning it in like a suspicious way as much as it's like, huh, like, what are you going to do with this information going forward? Let me put this out there. Rather than this being some kind of key to unlocking some future plot point, I would probably just say that one of the themes of the show is everyone is carrying some kind of enormous, overwhelming sadness within them at all times. Mm. Uh, and we, we, we certainly know this about Asher and, and now Dougie, we don't really understand what Whitney's deal is quite yet. Um, other than that, she's not a very nice person. Uh, so, (laughs) so yeah, I think, uh, uh, maybe that's it, maybe it's just the milieu that the show is operating in versus yeah, yeah, that's a, a, plot, a plot thing. So definitely, perhaps true. But yeah, when they leave the restaurant, Dougie's date wants to take an Uber home, but Dougie offers to drive her. Excruciating scene because look, if you are that date, don't do and it. Your date has just told you why they, you know, uh, shouldn't have been held responsible for someone's death because they breathed slightly over the uh, acceptable blood alcohol limit. Do not get in the car. She doesn't want to make things awkward by refusing the ride, but just don't get in the car. This is, by the way, is the most... Un- I don't know if it's the first date that these two are having, but that is the most understanding first date I've ever seen. And or she just has had a string of horrifying men prior to Dougie. That That's would, what I'm... Uh, yeah. dude, I think there are red flags with this this character. Like her... <laughs> one thing we didn't really get into in discussing the dinner is... Oh, it'd be very natural to assume the person on the other side of this, like the woman in question, like deeply uncomfortable, doesn't want to engage with any of this. Complete opposite. She's fully engaged in the conversation. Thinks some of the information about like, hey, coffee doesn't really work. Peeing is what we're like. Like she like thinks it's funny and interesting and uh, is is like is committed to what this person wants to talk about on the other mm. side of the table. Whereas it'd be very easy to imagine her like looking around awkwardly, like sipping into a drink while she's being talked at. And she is being talked at because Dougie has a, I talk to you, we don't engage in a conversation vibe as a character, but she is, she's in it. And so, I mean, we'll get to how this, you know, this, like this encounter between them concludes, but I think there might be, I think you're onto something. The men in this area or women, whoever the dates that she is going on, I have led her to a place where, minimal amounts of like care empathy understanding to another amount to wow this might work for Nailed me it. you're crushing it you're crushing <laughs> it. uh yeah and and so he then he starts like drifting off while he's on the road he has a portable breathalyzer and he blows over the limit twice so then they get out and walk the rest of the, the time to her house we don't know how really the day concludes after that but she does say that she's impressed that he stopped the car after he blew over the limit because he's like she's she's thinking to herself most guys wouldn't necessarily do that. So yeah. Anyway, <laughs> good, good, hooray. <laughs> good, good for Dougie. Good for Dougie. The bar is on the floor, people. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, back at the casino, Asher has managed to score a meeting with his former boss, where he pitches the casino on overseeing a new project, a kid-friendly arcade in the casino, specifically targeting single parents who are likely to then engage in spending money at the casino. Uh, they find the plan intriguing, but they don't have any plans to hire Asher. By the way, the c- couple things to note about that: they were so firm on not hiring Asher. I was wondering how did that whole relationship end? You know, like mm, mm-hmm. very curious if he soured them in some way. Uh, and then also, uh, I just love the idea that this is very Nathan Fielder esque, right? Is that he comes up with this ridiculous plan and needs to present it to people? That's the the premise of nathan for you and that's and, in the intro that's what i was alluding to of like yeah, there's yeah, a yeah. specific arc of this episode that even in my passing familiarity of nathan for you seems like you could just if this had been in nathan for you it would have just slotted into a season of that show yeah the plan entice single parents <laughs> to go gambling more with a playground at a casino you know uh but I like the idea that he spent a bunch of time writing up this plan just to get into the building. Like that's the only reason he's there. And you can see him trying all these various ways to stay in the office in incredibly painful and more obvious ways. Like, Oh, I got to show you this video. Oh, can I go to the bathroom? Oh, can I? And it's just like, Oh my gosh. Um, 
And uh, <laughs> then he he pulls out the my wife is pregnant. I got to show you some video of it. Question mark uh, to celebrate. And then he pulls up a viral video of a woman slipping on some ice. Which, by the way, classic viral video. Do you know that viral video? By the way, that they showed I've, her. I hundred percent have seen it. I was like, I, I I actually enjoyed. It's a small thing, like in the grand <laughs> scheme of what this show is or isn't, will not matter. But I loved that they went and got the rights to an actual exactly. viral clip. That if you've been on the internet in the last, yeah, it's pretty. This one's pretty old now, like close. It's like to, a decade old. And by the way, the, a, the clip, if you want to find it, is just Google uh, "woman running on ice" or yes. "woman running on snow," and it's a very famous news clip of a woman being like, like if there's a blizzard happening, and uh, this woman's out there jogging. And she's like, yeah, it's actually great to jog in the snow. You know, it's wonderful. She's being interviewed by news. And then she runs <laughs> off and then slips and, like, eats it real bad. Uh, like, <laughs> I mean, immediately. It's not as like she's in the distance. It's like, well, see ya. Like, thanks yeah, for talking to me. And, like, me. three seconds later, ah, she's, like, boom. Oh, it's fantastic. Uh, a metaphor for the characters on the show, perhaps, Patrick? <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I can see that. So the whole sequence is it plays. The thing is, it's you kind of know where it is. And it plays out in such excruciating detail and pacing you know mm-hmm. of oh now i'm spilling gatorade all over myself and on you and it's just like oh it's and i feel bad for his coworker because he's probably gonna get in trouble after this you know um it's it's an exquisite scene it's an excruciating scene um i loved it i hated it any other thoughts patrick Lepic, on this i maybe this made more sense to you having watched nathan for you but the moment when like he's 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 wiping the floor and it's clear like oh this shit this isn't going to get him out of the room this isn't going to give him the, the clear opportunity to get into the it's like well what is he going to do and then when he dumps it i was i i that's where i i don't i haven't physically reeled too much in this show but that and then when he dumps it on himself like oh i did it to me too yeah like it's just it's like oh it, it felt almost almost improvisational uh, in, in, uh-huh, in the uh-huh. way I have, yeah. again, like it's one of the things I'm curious. Well, the, char- to, the character is improvising in that moment, you know. So the character is improvising, but like I, hopefully now that the like strikes are behind us and people can talk more about like the, I, I'm very curious like to know how much of this show is like we just did what was on the page and then you know yada 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 because just something like in that moment it almost felt like I could have imagined when they shot that scene, him just dumping that and them just rolling with it. But either way, the resulting scene is is horrendously uncomfortable um and just like and it's so much they got such a big jug of gatorade or whatever you know electrolyte yeah. uh flavor you know uh red flavored drink it's tremendous just like uh and it really shows off the nathan fielder awkwardness that he is yes. he's well known for it's so awkward everything's so awkward but anyway uh end of the day asher successfully gets the files so uh in this extremely elaborate cockamamie scheme mm-hmm. to like, we are so far afield, Patrick, because the original purpose of this was to prevent the reporter from reporting on his, like airing that clip of him being angry. And now he's infiltrating his old workplace and like mm-hmm. possibly blowing up his old coworkers life. Episode uh, two. At, like, episode two. That, seemed, yeah. that seems like if you, the way you described it, <laughs> Oh, I see how we'd get there over the oh, course how, of the season. Yeah, and like, that's like no, two, that's like the penultimate climax of the season. Yeah, right? no, it's like no, yes. we're already there, episode two. Okay, anyway, Asher and Whitney end up at Kara's art show, in which the showcase piece is one where people individually go inside the structure, where Kara is waiting inside, shredding turkey. Uh, when Whitney goes in, Kara hands Whitney a plate of turkey, which she begins to eat, only for Kara to scream and be told, "Why did you do that?" Later, Whitney finds the local tribe leader she invited only to struggle to explain anything of meaning about the art that's surrounding them. The leader is invited to wait in line for the central exhibit, and Whitney betrays the rules of the structure, telling him not to eat the food handed to him. Uh, In the structure, the leader doesn't eat the food, and he asks, is that it, Takara? And then leaves. So, Patrick, did you have any interpretation of what was going on here? Uh... I'll I'll share my interpretation. Yeah, please elaborate. I think that if I'm putting my modern art hat on, right, she she has people sit inside the structure. She's cutting turkey. She hands people the turkey. People are then compelled to, in a Nathan Fielder-esque situation, 
people then feel compelled to act. They feel like, well, this person, the turkey was there. I must eat it. Right? And then she says, why did you do that? And it forces you to confront, uh, you know, on on a surface level, like uh, consumption and why, like, Americans consume. On a deeper level, colonialism and, like, why, you know, why, why did you rape and pillage the land? Because it was there, you know? Um, that's kind of my basic that, that reading of what up. was going on there. Right. Yeah. Um, I feel that it fits within the, the, we don't get a, we only get to see a couple other objects, uh, like art pieces that Kara's put together as a part of that exhibit. But your interpretation of the structure fits within the other exhibits that we're given glimpses of, uh, during, during our brief tour there. And I just have to say, I think it works as an art piece. I think like the feel and you know, the feeling it creates when she's saying, why did you do that? Why did you, and you're left at a loss and you're forced to confront those feelings. Now, some people might think it's a little bit too over the top or exaggerated to really work, but I I think it works, you know, as a, if I basically I'm saying, if I went to go see this piece in person, I would be like, Oh, that was like a moderately effective uh, performance art. You know, that's what, that's kind of, kind of what I think. Well, and it fits with, um, if you're walking into a gallery and, and, you know, an exhibit like this, it feels in kind with like the, you know what I mean? Like it's, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, totally. you know what kind of vibe you're going for. Yes, like these are the absolutely. kinds of art pieces that are going the kind of performance pieces that are going to be there. So that may not work for you. You may think it's sort of like goofy and over the top, but like, I think it fits like of a kind with the kind of artist that like Kara is pitched as in, in the show. I didn't like the fact, I mean, when I say I didn't like, I, I like how the show is doing most things. Um, I was personally offended at Whitney's violation of the rules. <laughs> <laughs> you had well, one at, job. At, at... <laughs> you had one job, Whitney, you know, like don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. She tries to talk with her husband about it. And then yep. she tells the, she, she already messed up by inviting that guy, you know, in a way that reeked of tokenism. And then she, then messes up his experience of the the performance art. I'm like Whitney. I, I feel like this is going to come back. By the way, to to bite them in some way in a future episode. I feel like that interaction, her, you know, being at the art show. I think it's gonna it's gonna come back in a bad way. So that's my guess. I, I agree, and it, and it's interesting because you know you haven't back when Asher was going to go meet with the reporter privately for the first time. He says, "Well, come with me." And she says, no, like she doesn't want to be associated with the meeting. And, and she's like, this is your story. You know, this is your story. And like that mm. rings very hollow, like the further we get into, um, you know, the, the, the season. And I think part of what we, what's demonstrated in this episode in particular is not that just Asher, like the first, the pilot spends so much time showing Asher as kind of a bumbling buffoon like he's like like left to his own devices like it's a it's a miracle the man is alive like at all and (laughs) like it kind of sets up well maybe whitney is the together one like she's got the rich parent this is the Mm -hmm. reason any of this works and the second episode spends a lot of time poking holes like maybe she is the one keeping it together but it is like it's a very thin like thin thin thing that they're holding on to and and whitney herself is is full of holes as a as a person um and and I, I like the way that they have kind of brought her down to a different level at the end of this i mean it's it's less open like outwardly excruciating as the mm-hmm. dinner scene but the moment where she tries to explain the art pieces and their significance and basically bounces between like three different things like well, you know, this is, you know, like a, a cultural realm. It's like, fuck the establishment. You know what I mean? Like cannot land on a single actual thought because mm-hmm. the leader's not giving her much to work with. So she just bounces between, what do you want to hear? Like, what's the thing that would make you like, h- how do I validate myself through you responding to me? And she can't get any of that. Is even rebuffed by one of the folks working the exhibit. Like, well, may- oh shit. Well, maybe you can e- explain what's going on with these pieces and like gets, gets nothing out of it. Well, I think that there's also this idea of her claiming to really support the arts and claiming to be really into the art, but she can't even respect the basic rules that she's been given to this, you know, like Mm -hmm. she, her feelings of wanting to know what 
Asher's experience was in the art or like what she should have done. Those are more important than the art itself. And I think that's going to be a running theme. It was like your feel, their feelings are more important than actually doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, uh, it, it's a really effective entire setup and sequence. So anyway, <sighs> what a, um, what a barrage of just incredibly uncomfortable experiences, Patrick <laughs> Uh So anyway, at the end of the episode, uh, the episode concludes with Asher and Whitney doing a follow-up about Whitney's pregnancy, only for things to get uncomfortable fast. The technician doing the checkups asks if Whitney has had any previous miscarriages, to which she says no, uh, and then asks if she's had any abortions, to which she says yes, but declines to say how many. Asher seems perplexed, and the technician soon reveals the pregnancy isn't viable, but they can try again in six weeks. The technician recommends immediately pivoting to a procedure to ensure the unviable pregnancy is taken care of safely, but Whitney is stubbornly insistent on waiting for a Dr. Brown to return. In the car, the two seem shell-shocked for different reasons, but Whitney assures Asher they'll try again and have a baby soon. Asher turns to Whitney and says, you know you can tell me anything, right? At which point, Whitney looks away, not answering, as the episode ends. Really great stuff, again. I think uh, the technician is behaving inappropriately, in my opinion. I don't think you should ask details of a person's medical history, even in the presence of that person's spouse, right? Like, yeah, You don't know cool. how, how long have they been together. Right. Um, what have... What what has that person shared yeah, with yeah. the other person? I, you know, I've been in, you know, I've got two kids. I've been in versions of this room. Yeah. Um, I fortunate not to have like gone through uh like as painful a thing as like the two of them are like going through where you're like informed of a like unviable pregnancy. But like n- I assume those questions happen and they happen between yeah. my wife and their doctor and not it felt like that felt like a reach by the show yeah. to do to do some bit. like plot expediency, which is like we need to g- get these elements on the table, and we're going to do it here at the expense of realism. I mean, otherwise, like but, a broadly kind of realistic show, like it's yeah. like, and I don't think it's betrayed. It doesn't get it to like yeah. And, and look, I'm sure I'm sure it happens, Pat. You know, I'm sure it happens yeah. occasionally where a technician oversteps or bounds. Like that, it, I'm sure that actually right. happens in real life, but um, it does feel weird for. Uh, this show in which this couple have experienced virtually every social faux pas possible in the last like 24 <laughs> hours, you know? So, uh, <laughs> like, remember the ATM guy anyway. Um, so, okay. Putting that, putting the realism of the scene aside. Sure. Uh, yeah. Like upsetting stuff. What's going on here? You know, the, one of the most chilling lines in the episode was when she says to him, I love how you fight for us. You remember that? I love how you mm-hmm. fight for us. Uh, which is like a very, you know, she's clearly not as into the relationship as he is. She's clearly keeping lots of secrets. Um, she does not share his level of enthusiasm when he says, you know, I'm going to track you. I'm going to start tracking you. We're going to start having more sex next month. You know, like it's, it's all very painful. Um, any, any closing thoughts on this, this scene, Patrick Lepic or in the episode as a whole? No, it makes me uh, wonder if, sort of like the card the show is playing at the end here is like, who is this show about? And I think increasingly the evidence is pointing towards like that Whitney is like the, the primary uh, sort of character that we're going to be unpacking, like as a vehicle to explore a lot of different themes uh, over the course of the season. Maybe that won't be true. And maybe it'll feel more equal between Asher and, and Whitney as, as the, as the show goes along. But I, I find myself, more, much more interested in learning what makes her tick like right. what is behind uh like like much more so than like right now than i am in learning more about asher um which is not anything wrong with the character or not that they're mm-hmm. on, on i just think there's just so much more going on in in whitney that i am just fascinated to learn like how have you arrived at this point and my guess is the show is going to drag us across concrete to discover the answer to that yeah i i think there's a lot of mysteries that the show has set up around the whitney character who was the father of the baby what are her real feelings about asher what is the real deal between her and her relationship with her parents like there's all these like these yeah. mysteries that you don't know and I think the show, it, it does make it very intriguing. I, I agree with you. She's going to be the character. Like, we're going to hopefully, 
at the end of the season, be able to go back to the first couple episodes, watch it, and it's all going to lock into place and make sense. That's what mm-hmm. we hope. So I'm looking forward to it. And thank you so much for joining us for our journey through this show. You can find more episodes of the podcast at podcast.decodingtv.com. Email us. Let us know what you think of the curse and of this podcast at decodingtv at gmail.com. Uh, we'd love to hear your reactions. It's one of the fun things about covering a show like this. Um, so yeah, reach us there. Patrick Klepek, where can people find more of your work on the internet this week? Uh, you can follow all my writing uh, and podcasting and streaming about video games at remapradio.com. Uh, and you can follow my newsletter uh, about the intersection of gaming and parenting over at crossplay.news. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you on the next episode of Decoding TV. Goodbye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 